This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Bioptimizers and their brand new Magnesium Breakthrough, which is finally back in stock. Get the best deal you'll find anywhere available on for this product at magbreakthrough, M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com slash no meat and use code no meat for 10% off. This episode is also brought to you by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. Go to oseamalibu.com slash no meat athlete. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com slash no meat athlete for $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more and free shipping on orders of $75 or more. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C. and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hey guys, this is Doug here from No Man Athlete Radio. I am solo for this intro, but in just a second, I'm going to hand it off to Matt Tolman, who is going to share an interview he just did with Juliana Hever, who, if you don't know Juliana, well, I'll let them get into it, but she is an expert when it comes to plant-based nutrition, and I am very excited to have this interview and share it with you guys. So without further ado, we'll just jump right into it. I hope you have a great week and enjoy the interview. And we are live with Juliana Heaver. Uh, I should have started off by asking you to make sure I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. So it is Heaver, right? No, no, it's Hever, and everyone does that, including Steve Harvey. I did that on the Steve Harvey show, and I said, no, it's Hever, like, forever. Because <laughs> he was like, oh, gosh. I, yeah, I don't know. It's like a Heaver. It's okay. Everyone does it. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that makes me feel slightly better, but uh, I apologize. Juliana Hever, which is even worse because I've been following your work for uh, seven years. I've been vegan, and I remember looking up plantbaseddietitian.com forever ago and finding some article on B12 or whatever it was. And, and so thank you for being with us today. Thank you for doing the work that you do. I'm so excited to uh, be able to ask you some questions and introduce you to all the listeners and watchers out there. Um, I should finish your formal bio. Of course, you are the the author of plantbaseddietitian.com. You've also authored five books, is it, right? And uh, multiple peer-reviewed studies in medical journals. Uh, I believe you're the um, nutrition columnist for Veg News. Uh, anything else that we can add to your resume? That sounds like a lot, but but did I miss anything? Well, I mean, I, I counsel clients around the world. I speak around the world. Um, let's see. I, I was a host of my, I had a TV wellness talk show called What Would Juliana Do?, which is what I'm doing now on my social media is trying to relive that and do some little Q&A based on that because I want to answer people's questions and have like a direct channel to my audience. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on now in addition to seeing all of my clients. Very cool. And and just in case people want to check that out while we're starting out, what what is the best social channel for them to find you at? Right. So you can find all of them at plantbaseddietitian.com. But um, on Instagram, I'm Juliana Hever, which is kind of funky to spell. So you might want to do that via my website. And then Facebook is plant-based dietitian and Twitter is at plant dietitian. Oh, and I'm back on YouTube. I just started back on YouTube with these little videos. Um, and I think that's plant-based dietitian or my name. I don't even know. I should know that. It's all on my website. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so plantbaseddietitian.com is is the place to find it. So um, awesome. Well, let's start off with some warm ups. We've we've done the introduction, but tell us why why did you get into this work? If I uh, I can't believe everything I find on the internet, but I think you were a theater major. So tell us when did you figure out this was your calling, and maybe if it has anything to do with it, how did you transition from theater into nutrition, which seems to be a little bit different. It's so interesting. There's two parallel stories and they're so interwoven that it's, I, it begs, it's a longer story if that's okay. Sure. So I've always loved nutrition and fitness. I was, we have audio recording like tapes, cassette tapes of me teaching my sister and like friends at five years old aerobics. <laughs> and I had this relationship with my, my grandma where she would, she loved to tell me about nutrition. Like she'd be like, why are we eating these bananas? And I'd say potassium, you know, like we had this like dialogue about nutrition and I was always fascinated. And I used to, as a child, go to anyone's home, like from the time I could crawl, and I would sit in front of their, their food pantry and look at their food in their pantry. 
So I kind of love all things food and nutrition and fitness. Okay. So I grew up in Los Angeles and like many Los Angelinos do, we are in the Hollywood world. So I was a dancer before I could walk and I started acting pretty early on, but mostly I was really into dancing. I was doing a lot of ballet and jazz and modern. And I would do this ballet class all the time, like four or five times a week, I would do shows and everything. And my ballet teacher said in front of all of my friends, I think I was 10 or 11 years old. And she said, cut out those snacks, Julie. So that planted that seed. And then, uh. yeah. And then as an actress, I had, I did a lot of Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare and theater, but I also was trying to do a little bit of, I was doing a little bit of movies and modeling and that kind of commercial acting as well. And so when I got my agents and everything, they'd be like, you got to lose a few pounds. Cause that's what the camera, you know, it's the culture. It's the culture. But of course that plants seeds in young ladies' minds and it stays with you for a while. So I constantly read and tried every diet and I was just fascinated by it for a lot of reasons. And I stumbled upon John Robbins' book, Diet for a New America, when it came out. So like mid to late 80s, not to date myself, but I, when I learned what happened and how animals ended up on the plate, I wanted nothing to do with that. I did not want to contribute to that at all anymore. And so... I tried, I, you know, I told my parents and they're like, a veg what? Like, what are you talking about? You know, my mom did all the cooking and she didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I was just cutting out animal products. I, there was no internet back then, again, to date myself. And I didn't have any, I had one friend that I had lost contact with because this was an, I was a little older who had been a vegetarian. It was like the, the vegetarian in the school. And so I had no one to go to. In fact, that's what I was so excited about my book. It was like, I wish I had that book at the time to tell me what to do. So my parents staged an intervention. I wrote about this in Vegetarian Diet because it was quite traumatizing. Uh, they had their friend who's a nurse take me. We all went out to dinner at a steakhouse and I ordered a, a teriyaki steak and there was a big pineapple ring on top. And Kendra proceeded to tell me how I was going to be B12 deficient and iron deficient and protein deficient. And she scared me so much so that I took that first bite. And you know, I always say, once you know, you can't unknow. And it was very hard to take that bite. I wrote about that in the book. But eventually I went back and I was scared away from it. But I knew there had to be way more to the story than I had. There had to be more. There aren't, people aren't dying of vegetarianism. You know, just, there has to be more. So I kept reading and studying and learning. And then I wanted to be a doctor. So I started undergrad with my biology as my degree, my, my major. and. I was trying to do that. And I was still dancing and acting at the same time. And I'll never forget my calculus 1C. I had this great calculus professor. I was at UC Santa Cruz. And I was trans I wanted to transfer to UCLA because I wanted to get into med school. And my actually my ex-husband, who I met after freshman year, was also pre-med. That's how we met in EMT school at UCLA. And um, he convinced me to come to UCLA. And so I, tra I was transferring as a physiological science major and is a really hard major to get into at UCLA. And I didn't have like straight A's by any chance back then. It was like maybe a couple of C's. And I, my bio one C, I got a C in, which is awful. One, bio one A, <laughs> my first class, first quarter. But, um, but Mr. Mitchell, my calculus teacher, I would go in for office hours because calculus was not easy for me. And he finally said to me when I was transferring, he said, Juliana, go back to acting. You'll be so much happier. <laughs> oh, man. So I did. I, I wasn't, I was like just in the nick of time. I switched my um, application to UCLA to theater and my friend Malik was in the department and he's like, I'll get you an air. I'll get you an audition. Cause I know I'm in the theater department. We went to high school together. And so Malik got me an audition for UCLA theater and I got in. And so I was like, okay. So I went back into theater. I did a lot of pre-med for two years and then I went to theater and then, okay. <laughs> this is a long story. Sorry. I have never told it in this great of detail though, for the record. So then I um, was at UCLA and then I started doing more movies and commercials and modeling and stuff. And they started with that again. So my manager at the time said, you got to go on a diet. Here's a trainer. You got to work with this trainer. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, training sounds fun. Cause I loved working out. So I started with this trainer and fell in love with personal training. So I was about to graduate from undergrad and I loved personal training. So I was like, I started personal training. So I signed, I, did the um, ACE American Council for Exercise test. And then my, we all went on a trip after we graduated, me, my sister, and my parents. And when I came back, I got my certification in the mail and I became a personal trainer. And then everyone started asking me right away, because I was done with school. I just never want to go back to school. I was so happy to be done, <laughs> except everyone's like, 
what should I eat? Where do I get my protein? And I was like, Ooh, um, well, I don't want to just spit back what I learned. It was one chapter in the personal training handbook, plus all the years of reading I had done on my own. And so I, I read, I applied for a graduate school and oh my gosh, I had the best time in my life. I never got straight A's like this. I loved every single class. It was like, it was like heaven for educate for my brain, you know, chemistry and biochemistry and nutrition and food science and statistics. And oh, I loved it. And I was, I had built up a personal training practice. I was working full-time during the day and then studying at night and I did my internship, all that. And then Finished grad school, right? One semester after I had my daughter, Maya. So 15 years ago, exactly. She just turned 15. Oh my God. Um, I had, I was, I went to take the RD exam nine months pregnant and they said, you can't leave to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, but I'm nine months pregnant. He's like, you could leave, you could leave. <laughs> you have to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> but I passed the test and came home to have a baby. And finished my grad school. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to get to the bottom of this plant-based I wasn't plant. No one was saying plant-based back then. But then I started reading, and I started reading objectively because I knew how to dig into the literature. I knew where I can get my protein, my iron, and my B12. And then I discovered Dr. T. Colin Campbell, and and I decided, oh, I have to tell the world about this. And it all started flowing. Like that was my first flow experience of my life, where it was like everything was happening on purpose, on purpose. I didn't want to stop talking about this. And literally, I had like my this agent reached out. Someone needed to write the complete idiot's guide to vegan nutrition. Do you want to do it? Yes. So I applied to do that. I got in got the job. Then Dr. Oz show called me, come do a show. Okay. It was like everything flowed and it's been the most extraordinary thing. It all came together. Wow. Well, your, your energy is infectious. So clearly you've enjoyed the ride and uh, we all benefit from the fact that you did find your, your true calling and all of those horrible people kept telling you to lose weight. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's for all the, we all, you know, it's, uh, you know, to, to our benefit, right? Um, but I'm curious, and, and maybe it's, it's uh, as simple as this, but, but what changed between bio 1A, you know, that you did terribly in, and, uh, and then getting to your master's degree? Was it just all of a sudden you, you kind of had a purpose? You, you connected with, you know, your actual calling, if you will, and, and you know, there was a reason you weren't just studying biology for the intellectual or, or academic need but instead you there was a point right you know you were trying to answer a question I'm just curious if you ever thought about what what maybe changed had never thought about it never and i think if i just my first thoughts would be um i wasn't ready or biology 1a really has not that much to do with what i do <laughs> or chemistry what i do and physiology and biology, maybe I didn't have a good professor. I don't know. That's a very good question. I well, was ready, maybe. I I won't uh, I won't make you probe the you know early years uh, uh, while while on camera at least. Um, but uh, before we get into chemistry, let's just start with some some basics. You know, every time at least I uh, get on the phone or or uh, do an interview with someone who clearly is a healthy person, particularly if they have as many degrees as you do and have studied this, you know, I have to ask, what, what does your diet look like today? I mean, just walk us through a typical day, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, if you snack, what, what are you eating? It is a good question. And it has dramatically evolved and changed and shifted. And I, I don't even commit to saying this is how I always eat because it's, I, I'm, I want to learn. I always want to learn. And I'm at the point now where I feel complete control over my food. And I have this like, and I never had like issues with food, except for that I was always trying to lose weight and try to eat healthy. But my entire health shifted personally when I went plant-based finally, when I was just saying that I didn't fit that part in. I had like lifelong sinus infections and GI problems and um, acne. I had the worst acne. I, was, I could not, I did everything I could to fix my skin and nothing worked. And when I changed to whole food plant-based, all of that went away. And so my diet has evolved a lot. It went from like vegan to like, you know, with some vegan junk food, like vegan ice cream, vegan that to, um, whole food plant-based completely. I mean, I was trying to do that always, but like there was stuff that would fit in. And then I added, uh, intermittent or time restricted feeding that really changed a lot for me and honing my, my feeding window. So that's where I am right now. And I'm saying that this works for some people, a lot of people, there's a lot of great evidence supporting the, the long-term health benefits. Um, 
So I eat once or twice a day, which sounds crazy to some people, but a lot of people are doing this now, so it doesn't sound as crazy as it used to. Uh, and I haven't been doing it that long, maybe like, I don't know, not that long. So I love, okay, so vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices, and infinite tasty combinations. So when I first wrote my first book, they were like, and you need 50 recipes. I'm like, recipes? I'm a dietitian. Everyone thinks dietitians are chefs and like we're trained culinarily. Uh, no, I, no, 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 no. I trained myself how <laughs> to cook. And I had six weeks to write this book and do, learn recipe development. So that was crazy. So I got like a, like a really quick PhD in how do you make a recipe and just make it work. So I'm always evolving that. Like, again, like I'm really, every day is sort of different, but right now, so I have a few core recipes that I just, I love them. I, I don't like sugar at all anymore. Like I don't, I can't do anything. I get sometimes fruit is too sweet for me, which I can't, I would have never believed myself if I, you told me this a few years ago, but I eat a lot of, I love vegetables. I love mushrooms. I love, I don't, I don't know. So, well, I'll just tell you what I have for lunch. What probably might be my only meal today. Cause it was a huge lunch and I was in between meetings and this, I just shoving it down. Huge salad. The, I should show you the bullets over right there because I didn't have time to wash it. It was this big. I had lettuce and kale blend and I had cooked up. It's actually the Southwest salad from Healthspan Solution from the latest book that came out in December. And I love this recipe. So I made a dressing with roasted red bell peppers. It's in the book and um, cashews and spices. I like everything spicy and nutri, of course, nutritional yeast. And, um, and I had that with beans and corn that I had cooked yesterday and I put it on this with tomatoes and it's basically the Southwest salad from our book. And I love that. So, but I'm also obsessed with this cauliflower. I call it the cream of mushroom cauliflower rice recipe that I just kind of came up with a few months ago. And I've been talking about it for months and everyone's like, you got to publish it. You got to publish it. But it's so ugly, this recipe, because it's all mushrooms and cauliflower. It's like gray and looks awful. So no matter how many times I made it and photographed it and had a couple people try to do it for me, I want to get the right picture to put on my website. Um, so I finally, I, I realized that there's like this, if anyone could fix this, it's my, the woman, Hannah Kaminsky, who did my cover for vegetarian diet. She made it look beautiful. So I finally published that. That is honestly, I've been eating that almost every single day for four months. <laughs> so that's, that's well, what I'm those are my favorites right now. Those are some of my favorite ingredients, mushrooms and cauliflowers. And I see why that might be difficult to photograph, but I just wrote it down because I'm, I'm going to look it up. It sounds fantastic. Um, I definitely want to get into fasting and time-restricted eating. I know you've done a lot of research around you know, circadian eating, if you will, or eating around your circadian rhythm, I suppose you'd say. Um, uh, before, before we get there, um, you just said you don't really like to uh, eat a lot of sugar. Um, do you have any guilty pleasures? Do, do dietitians splurge ever? Are you perfect a hundred percent of the time? No, dietitians always splurge or have, I mean, <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not a usual dietitian at all. I'm like a rebel from the, in the dietetics perspective, cause I went plant-based and I'm a rebel in the plant-based world because I'm a dietitian and it's like, and I'm a trainer. So I've got like, I'm kind of like this weird anomaly. So I don't, I can't speak for anyone in any category. Um, but my, my splurge is wine. I love wine so much. <laughs> so that would be my splurge. Food-wise, no. I, I, and I never thought I would say this because I loved sugar. Me and my sister would make chocolate chip cookies and we couldn't even get to the, the cookies into the oven fast enough because we were eating the batter. Loved that stuff my entire life. It evolved. I didn't even try to give that stuff up. I don't want it anymore. I, I can't explain it except for I just my palate shifted. On my birthday, on holidays, I would rather have more of my foods. Like I, so no. Oh, that's not true. Okay, wait. I do like to splurge. I found some food things. I love places like Veggie Grill, like vegan restaurants, Cafe Gratitude. Um, there's some great restaurants in Los Angeles, Crossroads. So I like that kind of like restaurant food. I'll go out and have an amazing meal. And that'll be, a, I mean, when the world was open and hopefully it will be again, we still get, we'll get veggie girl once in a while. My daughter loves that too. So I'll get like the Buffalo wings or, you know, the tofu wings or I don't know. So that's my splurge. That's right. I do splurge. I have to, I have to think about it. It's not that often. <laughs> and, and for the record, we, we did not pay you to endorse veggie grill, although TK Pillen, the founder is a dear, dear friend of mine and, and uh, uh, involved in all of our different projects. So thank you. For the oh, shout out to Veggie Grill. I didn't um, even know that. That's <laughs> awesome. And actually, I interviewed um, Kevin when I 
first, I made a movie called To Your Health when I first was falling in love sure, with plant yeah. based. And I ran the, went around the world, interval around the country interviewing. And he, we were the, at the first Veggie Girl in LA um, doing an interview. So big fan yeah. of some, from the beginning. Yep, they are amazing. And uh, yeah, none in uh, Boulder, unfortunately, but that's my go-to anytime in, I'm in a big city. But um, anyway, um, let me, uh, let, let's transition a little bit to some of the more scientific, if you will. We won't get too sciencey. Um, uh, but, but you mentioned time-restricted uh, eating. Um, I, I really enjoy fasting. Um, Maybe we can start by defining what, what is the difference between fasting and time-restricted eating to you? That's a genuine question. Yeah. I, I've never really thought about it. I think I can guess one or the other, but I'm just curious if you can define it for all of us. Yeah, no, it's a really good question, and there's so much confusion because everyone's talking about it and interpreting it in their own ways. It's like, oh, you have to do 12-6 or 12-12 or 18-6 or no, you have to do it. We don't know that. The evidence shows that eating less frequently is beneficial. Evidence shows that fasting is beneficial. But fasting is really a state, a metabolic state of having been without food at all for, I don't know, it's, I think that varies too, but I would say maybe three days would be a real fast fast, maybe two days. But if people that go, I fasted all day and I ate at 12 p.m., I'm like, that's not really a fast because you were sleeping and so there's a lot of kind of interesting innuendos about the language, but I would say that I like using the term intermittent um, time-restricted feeding, not intermittent fasting, because that's not really fasting. It's just being fasted or fed in the fed state. So time-restricted feeding to me says it more clearly. Time restriction means you're spending a restricted amount of time in the fed state because there's so much going on metabolically when you're in both states. What we do today is something we've never done in history and antiquity until modern times where we are in a fed state all the time. And so remember from the first bite to the last bite, after that, it's four to six hours to go through the process of um, digestion and absorption. So if you're like, okay, so eight o'clock, you have your first meal and you're digesting, absorbing, digesting, and boom, another meal, another meal. So like you're constantly in the state, metabolically speaking, that is very different. The body has to prioritize fuel and energy to digest. It's a very intensive process of digesting and absorbing. So the time in the fasted state, when there's no fuel going through your system per se, you can do some metabolic house cleaning, like, um, you know, getting rid of extra cancer cells, you know, helping resolve inflammation, things that we really need for our long-term health. And you can't, it's like, it gets diverted. The attention gets diverted by the fed state. So does it matter how long you do it? Maybe it looks like you should do it more towards the beginning of the day where you're eating and earlier in the day. And then fasted longer because of the circadian clocks and because of the hormones that are released at different times a day. It's really fascinating. And I think the research is going to just keep emerging, but I found amazing success like personally and with my clients by just implementing eating within a four to six hour time period every day. So one or two meals a day, it's easy, less to think about, less to cook, less to clean, less to worry about. Just a lot of I will. I will attest that uh, in my experience, at least, you know, there's uh, it, it's it's almost like uh, paradoxical that you get so much more energy when you're not eating. You know, we we've been trained to think that like you need food for energy. Um, I mean, I I know from my family, you know, uh, food was a big deal. And it was like, if you didn't eat for like four hours, you get headachey. And it's like, well, you know, your body actually can can tolerate a little bit more. Um, uh, but, but tell me, so just to clarify, when you say eating in a four to six uh, hour window, so in theory, that means eight, nine o'clock in the morning, you might have breakfast, you know, maybe you'll have a smoothie, maybe you'll even have a lunch, and you can press all that eating into a maximum of six hours. And then for the following 18 hours, you know, you allow your body to obviously do that, uh, you know, absorption, digestion, excretion, everything that it needs to do so that you can get into a fasted state and your body has that opportunity to do the cell cleanup and other uh, processes that you mentioned. So is that just so I know, uh, so I'm clear on, on what you're suggesting? Yeah, it's basically first bite to last bite and four to six hour window. And if you do once a day, the thing that's so shocking is you think, oh my gosh, how can I go a whole day without eating? Like, 
and it's not comfortable at first for a lot of people. It's not comfortable for me even still. So sometimes, so it depends on you. And I've noticed with clients, I don't know if there's science to support this because the evidence seems to show that it's better to start a little bit earlier. Me personally, I'm really hungry by 11, 12 o'clock. So I do tea, I do tea all day long, coffee sometimes, water in the morning, and I push myself. So at the last couple of hours, I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait. What time is it? What time is it? It's time to eat. And, um, and so it depends on you. Uh, in terms of what works best, but I've noticed with my clients that there's two types of personalities or just two types of habits because everything about food is habitual and is malleable and you can change it by doing it every day consistently. And I've noticed that some people are like me where they are hungrier, early, not earlier because you know people tell you, oh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You need to eat first thing in the morning, get that fuel, that metabolic fuel going, your metabolism, your fire burning. Not true. That's marketing. That's not true. But, um, so there's some people that just are fine later in the day. If they eat or like, if I eat at 12, I'll be fine the rest of the day. Like I'm, I'm good. I don't need to eat that. But in the morning I was really hungry. And then there's other people that are like, ah, I don't need to eat. I don't need to eat. And they wait till three, four, five, six PM or even later Then they eat and they're, they're fine because otherwise they would want to eat later. So I've noticed there's kind of like morning prefers and evening prefers. Um, either way there's benefit. Yeah. And when you think about it, it's really not that hard to accomplish. If you can push to the morning, like you're suggesting, have a lunch at noon, just have an earlier dinner, say five or 6 p.m., and then just don't eat before bed, don't eat first thing in the morning. And, you know, all of a sudden, those 18 hours really is not that difficult. At least, you know, again, in my experience, I love starting a fast with a big meal around noon to 3 p.m. because it gets you through that that period where, you know, uh, for whatever reason, maybe uh, food addictions or hunger pains or whatever, but like you kind of sleep through it and then you wake up and, and all of a sudden you're already 16 hours in and, and it's easy to get to 24 and, you know, you just look forward to having dinner. So I'm a big fan. Thank you for, for sharing. Yeah, I want to um, add to that too, because those are really some really good points. You know, I work with clients that have for religious reasons are fasting or, um, People have a lot of like, people that clients that have, they want, they really, it matters to them to sit down in the evening with their husband and their child or their wife and their children or whatever their situation is, or they love to have breakfast with their family. So you could just tailor it based on what, what priorities are for you. For me, my parents cannot deal with me not eating when we're all sitting together. Even if there's like, I don't know, maybe I, I made a birthday party for my daughter and it was my daughter, my son, my parents and me. And I wasn't going to eat. It was night. I wasn't hungry. It was, but I was, you know, talking to them and everyone else was eating and they have a heck of a time. So there's a lot of social pressure there. So I would say accommodate it um, according to your lifestyle. And, but I think anyone can make it work if they want to. And again, the other thing I wanted to address that you mentioned, which is very important, is it really, it's all habit and you can tailor, you can get used to anything. You really can't. You just get used to it. You're used to eating six times a day. You'll get used to eating two times a day. It's just a matter of doing it over and over and over. And your body will stop producing the hormones ready for digestion when it's expecting a meal because we really are creatures of habit by even by bio, bio circadian rhythm at levels. It's, it's quite extraordinary at the cellular level. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I could ask so many questions about this topic, but I'll, I'll limit it to just one more because I want to make sure we get into some uh, athlete-related uh, questions. Um, when, when we say restricting eating, I've heard some different arguments about um, what qualifies. For instance, you know, if you have less than 75 calories, you know, which is like you know, nothing, a piece of lettuce, you know, um, then you don't trigger some of those uh, hormones, right? I've also heard that you know, tea and coffee are okay, just nothing with calories. And then I've heard another school of thought, which is, no, you know, caffeine is a xenobiotic and anything that you put into your body is going to trigger that cascade of effects that, you know, take you out of the fasted state. So um, not to say that you're going to be able to, to uh, wrangle all these different perspectives, but what, what is your perspective? It sounds like you still do tea. Um, tell, tell us, like, are you you know, for that fasted state, you know, zero calories, caffeine, where do you fall? Yeah, I think there's not enough research to really make conclusions, which is why there's never enough. They always say there's always need more research, the more research necessary. And I understand that. So based on what I understand, first of all, what are you comparing it to? Like, are you saying, um, can I have a little coffee? Um, or, or I'm not going to do time restricted feeding? Or are you saying, 
coffee will help you get to that point where it's easy for you? Are you coming from coffee with sugar and creamer or a Starbucks whipped cream, blah, 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 to black coffee? Like, where are you starting and what are your goals? And then how does it work for you? I think this is something that because there's no hardcore science, I mean, I will not argue with anyone who says a whole food plant-based diet is not healthy. There's just, there's nothing anyone could ever tell me ever again that would, I mean, I'm always open-minded, but by this point, like there's so much evidence give me a break. I, I won't even argue with people. I just like, you know what, you do you. And if you want to help with plant-based, you come to me, but <laughs> I'm not going to try to argue. Same with this. I don't, the evidence is a more a, the opposite of this. The, the evidence is still like, maybe this, maybe that, this might be better. This might be worse, but it's, it, there's, it's, I think there's room here for what makes it comfortable for you. And that will be an improvement in what you were previously doing so that you have the full advantage. I think that's a, a great approach, right? You know, a little bit goes a long way, especially compared to, to most people's diets. I mean, you know, uh, you and I are talking about a fringe concept with one or two meals a day compared to the mainstream, you know. So uh, little by little, I think, uh, is how you win the race. Hey, guys, this is Doug. Sorry for the interruption. I'm going to jump in with a quick thank you for our sponsors. This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Bioptimizers and their new Magnesium Breakthrough. Even digestion is influenced by the presence of magnesium. But there are two big problems. The first is that magnesium has largely been missing from U.S. soil since the 1950s, which explains why an estimated 80% of us of, of the population may be deficient, and most supplements contain only one or two forms of magnesium, when in reality there are at least seven that your body needs and benefits from. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new magnesium product that I have been talking about for the past few weeks called Magnesium Breakthrough. It's the ultimate magnesium supplement, and if you've tried to get it recently, you couldn't have, but now it is back in stock, which is pretty exciting. Magnesium Breakthrough has been selling faster than the company who makes it, Bioptimizers, has been able to keep up with. It's already sold out a few times, and due to supply shortages because of everything going around or going on in the world, it could very well sell out again. But the Nomad Athlete team was able to arrange for some stock to be set aside just for us, and I guarantee this is the best deal you will find on the product. With volume discounts combined with our 10% off coupon, which is no meat, you can save 50% off select packages of Magnesium Breakthrough. Go to magbreakthrough.com, that's M-A-G-breakthrough.com slash no meat, and use code no meat to save 55% off select packages. This episode is also brought to you by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based, results-driven skincare line. Osea puts your health and the health of the planet first with potent skin and body care solutions that are pure, safe, and effective. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere, and their entire line is built on these four pillars and pull from botanical sources around the world to create products that are truly effective. I do not say this lightly because I do not really normally do skincare products or even lotions or anything like that, but I have become addicted to the Osea products. My wife has as well in the summer as we've been getting a little sun-kissed here and there. It has been the perfect uh, product for us to use and really so many of them are, but the atmospheric one is one that uh, I am particularly fond of. Each product is infused with sustainably sourced organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals that create a nutrient and mineral rich bioavailable base, which can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance. Whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions. And on top of all that, every product is sustainably sourced, sustainably packaged, and sourced probably, non-toxic, cruelty-free, and made with love in California. Go to oseamalibu.com slash athlete. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com slash athlete to get 10% off your first order of $50 or more, plus free shipping for U.S. orders that are $75 or more, and free samples with every order. Thanks, Osea and Bioptimizers, for sponsoring today's episode. Um, speaking of races, athletes... I know you've done a lot of work with top athletes. Um, I actually had a couple questions submitted, um, but but first off, um, tell me, I know some of your work uh, relates to oxidative priority and the food triangle. 
Um, I know we don't have a visual, and I don't mean to put you on the spot with anything overly complex, you know, just real high level for an athlete, maybe let's take an endurance athlete, you know, what, what is your recommendation to that individual in terms of how to prioritize fueling for their training or for their competition? Okay, that's not my original work, the oxidative priority, and that is not my original work. So I can talk about it because I understand it very well. Um, but I would say that's not really that important when it comes to athletics. The most important thing that I, the way I would use it from what I've done with my work personally and the, the people I've worked with over the 25 years for, as a personal trainer and as a dietitian is, you know, you need to eat healthy because that's going to give yourself the best strength, um, health, immune system, because the healthier you are, the better you'll perform. And the better you perform, the better you recover, the better you recover, the better you perform. It's like this beautiful, beautiful symbiotic thing between what you eat and how you perform and how you take care of yourself. And I say this, okay, whole food plant-based diet is, again, there's nothing, no one could tell me that there's something other than that in terms of optimal health. And when it comes to athletics, I feel like I work with a lot of people that are top of their league on athletics, like top athletes and all sorts of athletes. But I also work with people that are very sick and fighting for their life. And I feel like there's this whole spectrum of types of people that I work with and lifestyles and things that I'm trying to help them with, where in a whole food plant-based diet has helped pretty much everyone who's implemented it. I could say that. I really can. It's amazing what I've seen. I can't believe what I've seen every day. And I always say results are typical. People get off their meds, people improve their performance, people heal, people feel good, people have, it's extraordinary. Okay, athletes, there are different types of athletes, right? We have endurance athletes and we have strength athletes and we have, um, you know, different types of athletics require different things. Ultimately, eating a whole food plant-based diet will help. I say the same thing goes for athletes as goes for my sickest client. Vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices in infinite tasty combinations. Don't worry about macros. I, I, I call it macro confusion. It's totally confusing and meaningless. I use the six daily threes that I highly recommend you look at. That is to me, that says everything for what you should eat. Because what I did with that was all these different foods, all these different types of foods, if it's pizzas and wraps and sushis and you know bowls and soups and salads and sides and sweets, which we have in the last book, uh, it doesn't matter. So what matters is that you're, you prioritize, because you can do all sorts of different ways. Now with athletes, you may need to, you're gonna need to eat more for that to match the performance and recovery. Okay, so it's the same concept using the six daily threes, which I'll explain if you'd like. I'll, I'll, should I explain the six daily Yeah, days? please, oh, yeah. I find it really, really helpful. So what do you eat? Okay, six, uh, six of the, these six categories, you want three servings a day of each, okay? One is leafy green and cruciferous vegetables. Okay, so bok choy, broccoli, cauliflower, any kind of green, uh, at least three servings. One serving raw is one cup and one serving cooked is half a cup, but you can't, you could just keep going on those, just eat a lot of those. The second thing is other colored vegetables. I want you to get some of those red, orange, yellow, beautiful other colored vegetables and fruits because those are or vegetables because they have all these unique properties in those as well. The third, and so one cup, one cup is a serving for that. Um, fruits, eat the rainbow of fruits, three servings a day of that. Um, legumes, so lentils, peas, uh, beans, hummus should be a food group, and then soy foods like tofu and tempeh count in that category. Three servings of that is about one, one and a half cups a day. And then nuts and seeds is the fifth category. So I want you to have one to two ounces of nuts and seeds a day. And I split that up in tablespoons just to make it all thin. And then the final one is actually movement and exercise because I want you to think about being active every day. I usually am standing too. I'm not right now, but usually standing instead of sitting and walking instead of all that, just being active. It doesn't have to be formal exercise, but I'm um, just being active every single day. So those are the six daily threes. And then that it's applicable. So people go, oh, I need more protein. Okay, so eat more food. And those categories of food offer unique nutritional components. And people notice that whole grains aren't included in that. Why? Whole grains are fabulous. I have nothing against whole grains. The research shows that it increases more, more um, longevity and health span, and it's a staple, and it's really healthy, whole grains. 
but there's nothing unique in whole grains, nutritionally speaking, that you can't get in those other five of the six, six daily threes. So that's, that's what I say. And for fueling performance, you'll just have to eat more of those foods. Um, I remember, believe it or not, uh, thank you for that refresher, you know, seven years ago, finding that, uh, that document. So I know it's on your website or it was many years ago, I'm sure. So for anyone who wants to get those details, um, I encourage you to check out plantbaseddietitian.com. You said something about macros and I, um, have tried every app out there and, and yet I have never, ever been able to track macros. I find it just incredibly frustrating to, to try to, you know, estimate how much quinoa is it dry or is it cooked? And, you know, by the end of the day, I'm just exhausted by it and I last like one day, you know? So I'm very pleased to hear that you don't need to track macros, but tell me if somebody wants to gain muscle, right? You know, there's like, uh, you know, I, I would argue 95% of the content online suggests to you that you have to have this tremendous amount of protein, which I think most of the listeners uh, w- would know that you really don't need to worry about protein. You don't need that much protein. But if someone does want to gain muscle, for instance, you're saying don't worry about muscles, eat the rainbow, eat those, you know, five categories of food, three servings, maybe just more of them. But what, what do you tell somebody who comes to you and says, I'm just not gaining muscle, you know, what do I do to get bigger or okay, stronger, so, I should say? Well, those are different too. And those are very, it's a very important question. I'll address all of that. It's so interesting because if you want to gain muscle, the most important thing you can do is change your workout, work out harder, smarter, like have a strategy for building muscle. Now that said, there are nutritional ways to gain you know, you can pound down those protein shakes. You can take creatine. You can experiment with ergogenic aids. You can um, take steroids. These are all things that are in the armamentarium for muscle gain. It's so interesting because I've worked with bodybuilders. I will not work with a bodybuilder anymore, by the way, because it's so unhealthy, the way the whole process. Um, the most important thing is the gym. And the most important thing, I think that people that see these big muscly people, that's not really normally, that doesn't happen in a healthy way. Okay, I'm just gonna say that. You can get stronger without any of that stuff, for sure, because especially when you're eating this way, this anti-inflammatory diet, you can get stronger. You can get maybe bigger, but some people have, there's genetics and there's limitations. Now here's something that, food for thought. The only dietary way we have ever increased health span and longevity in every model organism tested from yeast to primates is with dietary restriction without malnutrition, specifically dietary essential amino acid restriction. Less protein helps with health span and longevity. So what is your goal? What do you want? And this is going to change throughout the lifetime. You know, I work with Young athletes that don't care, they're, they're invincible. I just want to be, I just want to win, win, fight. I want to be the best, the strongest. Okay, it comes at a cost. How many athletes do we know that later in life have heart attacks really young because of doing all that stuff? So you can do that. I won't do that with a client. I'm like, you know what, you're on your own because I don't want that for you. And, but if you want to do it the healthy way, there's ways to do that. And it's really strategic in the gym. Get a really good trainer, a really good um, coach at the gym. That's what I used to do. Um, I no longer am doing actual one-on-ones in the gym anymore, although I miss that terribly. But that's that's where you want to strategize. And then you eat to support the workout. You, the more you work out, the more you drive appetite. And then if you're eating all these wonderful same foods that I recommend for my every other patient with diabetes and cancer and heart disease, same foods, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices, focus on the six daily threes, eat more because you're going to need to eat more. You're going to want to eat more. You're going to be hungrier. And that's, it's like this natural thing. It's like, isn't that so much easier than just having to like calculate and what, what, how much of this and how much of that. And it's just, it, it, and I, that's the other reason that I'm a rebel as a dietitian is because I'm like, don't count anything. And everyone thinks that's insane because that's what dietitians do. We count trainers count too. I used, I, I used to get so offended when I'd have a client and they'd be like, you're supposed to be counting. That's your job. I'm like, no, that's not my job. I'm here to like coach you. And like <laughs> counting doesn't matter. It's like quality, not counting i don't know let's start a revolution yeah. shall we <laughs> <laughs> um 
That's awesome. And, uh, and always great to remind that protein, there's a great book called protein holic and we have an obsession. So I'm, I'm so glad to hear you refute that. Um, one, uh, just two more questions before we, we run out of time. If, if we can, um, we covered the, you know, the strength trainer, you just addressed that, um, for the endurance athlete, uh, um, I'm, I'm curious, we both have a dear friend, Izzy Fisher, um, Nomad athlete, and Izzy have been putting together a product that's whole food, plant-based way to fuel your workouts. I can tell you, I used to exercise in a fasted state. I just got into such a habit of doing so because, again, I, I enjoy time-restricted feeding. Um, and then, you know, we, we, I now have bags and bags of this stuff. And so I find myself eating it constantly and it's true. It, it, you know, like what they say, you know, fuel, right. You know, having something to burn, you know, I, I can tell a complete difference between, you know, when my body is relying on fat, you know, obviously some amount of glycogen, maybe in early in the workout. Um, and when like, I just, you know, 45 minutes before, um, had a handful of these plant bites, you know, and you just, you know, it clearly it goes to your muscles. So I'm, I'm just hoping, you know, for those who are the uninitiated, you know, um, I do my fair share of endurance work, but, um, you know, tell me how is the body reacting and what is the difference when you're working out in that fasted state? If you're doing time restricted feeding, maybe you can't get your workout in right in the middle of your feeding time you know, versus when you're going for that run and, and you've got that fuel, you know, what, what should we be aiming for? And maybe you can just educate us on, on, on a little bit of that. And if we go into the keto area, that's going to be my next question anyway. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on all of that. What is the optimal way to work out and fuel um, as it relates to, to uh, you know, whole foods or not? It's such a good question. And I think there's room for inter-individual um, variability here because when do you work out? What kind of workouts? How intensive? When did you eat last? What kind of food is in your body? How much glycogen do you have left in your muscles and liver? How much body fat do you have to run on? What is your goal in terms of maintaining, losing, or gaining weight? I mean, there's so many variables that I almost don't even like to give a guideline here. I would say if you feel good working out, if you're not, I mean, hydration is much more imminent when it comes to that. Um, you need to hydrate for exercise for sure. Like you need, and you need electrolytes at a certain point after about two hours. Um, that cheers. I'll drink my tea. <laughs> yeah. Just reminded me. I'm, I'm so hydration is very important. <laughs> <laughs> Cause we're talking, um, hydration is key and non-negotiable. Like that is life and death. You know, hyper, um, hypokalemia is a hypo hypokalemia. And it's, it's the hyperhydration when you're doing too much water and not enough electrolytes with prolonged endurance. So I did one marathon in my life <laughs> in 2002. <laughs> it was like so educational, just personally, how to hydrate properly. And um, it's just so interesting. So hydration is the most important thing when it comes to that. And I think there's room for, and even food, because I remember I had to learn exactly when I could eat so that I had enough fuel and so I won't cramp. Like that was a big deal for me was the cramping. Because if you have food in your digestive tract, again, remember when you're actually exercising, obviously, and maybe it's not so obvious to some people, blood is being shunted to those muscles for them to be working. So the blood is, so instead of, like I said, digestion and absorption is so labor intensive that all the blood is shunted to your gut. That's why they say not to go swimming for 30 minutes after you eat because you're diverting the attention, the blood flow from the gut, and that's what causes cramping and stuff like that into the muscles. So um, timing it is really important as well for you. But but that said, it, how do you feel? How do you work? It's so funny because when Izzy was making these things up, these formulas, and I said to her, I'm like, oh my God, you should make a company like this. And I and it's funny because I just read, I just realized that when I was talking to her the other day, like. That was, this is my idea. I'm going to take credit for this idea. It wasn't my idea. It was my, I just wanted her to do this out loud for everyone else to have access to it because I think it's, it's, we need that because the stuff that's on the market, well, at least when I was doing a marathon many years ago, there was just junky food on the market with all this not healthy food. So I'm excited about this product too. She's supposedly, it should be in my PO box. I have to go check if she sent me something to try, but it's up to the person. I mean, I would say 
what I learned personally and what I've learned working with many, many different types of athletes is that people have different experiences. And the most important thing is to practice their whole idea of practice and training is to, that's part of that formula. Like how do I function best? How do I recover best? How do I not have cramps? How do I go the longest, avoid bonking? When do I avoid bonking? When do I feel to avoid bonking? All of those things are so individual, not so individual, but they're, they are individual for certain reasons. So I like to give it leeway. All I care about is that you're eating whole food plant-based. I do like the time-restricted feeding if it works. If you have to shift it more to make it work, you do you. And I think everyone can make it work. It's, it just takes a little bit of playing. Right. Listening to the body. But, of course, engaging experts like you who are clearly a wealth of information. And um, uh, thank you. You reminded us at the, the start. But, again, plantbaseddietitian.com and folks can engage you directly if they are athletes and, and have these questions, like you say, it's so highly personalized. So I encourage everybody to, to reach out. Maybe not everybody, because you're only one person. I think we're going to have a lot of people listening to this. But, but no, you know, again, um, we're so blessed to uh, get uh, access to your insights today. Thank you so much for making the time. Um, I just mentioned plantbaseddietitian.com. Any last, uh, uh, you know, parting mandate for our audience or final words? Oh, well, I would say that you can't go wrong eating whole plants. I would say do some research before you make decisions based on stuff you just hear. You know, I think it's important to do homework because that's what happened to me. I was scared about getting my B12, my protein, my iron, and I lost all those years eating this way and saving my health. And so you're going to hear all sorts of things because I say everyone eats and therefore everyone is an expert on food and diet and nutrition. And that's not true. Everyone, you know, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. So just, just look for the, look for the evidence. And I don't make any decisions based on one study or one guru or anything like that. I look at the preponderance of evidence and I suggest everyone looks at the preponderance of evidence because they all pretty much say the same thing. Like not many people are saying don't eat fruits and vegetables. Like that's pretty evident. So look deeper, think harder and, um, and see how it feels because it's amazing what you can do with plants. It is so true. And, uh, and now I feel justified because I have been saying for years, everyone agrees fruits and vegetables is healthy. You know, it's like, only when you introduce the word vegan, like people freak out, like 100% across the board, our moms have been telling us for our entire lives, fruits and vegetables are really healthy. So just eat more of those, right? Um, thank you so much, Juliana, really appreciate it. 